we are going to continue our worship by listening to God's words. Now, um, as I said earlier on, um, Ian Campbell is sharing with us and finishing this series on Micah 6, 8. And today I'll be reading from the message, the version of the message, um, as we've tried to read um, a different uh, version each, each Sunday. So I'll read that and then I'll pray for Ian and then Ian is going to come and share from God's Word uh, for us. So, what God is looking for, Micah 6 verses 1 to 8. Listen now, listen to God. Take your stand in court. If you have a complaint, tell the mountains, make your case to the hills. And now, mountains, hear God's case. Listen, jury earth, for I am bringing charges against my people. I am building a case against Israel. Dear people, how have I done you wrong? Have I burdened you, warned you? Answer. I delivered you from a bad life in Egypt. I paid a good price to get you out of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, Aaron and Miriam to boot. Remember what Balak king of Moab tried to pull and how Balaam, son of Beor, turned the tables on him. Remember all those stories about Shittim and Gilgal. Keep all God's salvation stories fresh and present. Sorry, present. How can I stand before God and sh show proper respect to the high God? Should I bring an armload of offerings topped off with yearlings' calves? Would God be impressed with thousands of rams, with buckets and barrels of olive oil? Would he be moved if I sacrificed my firstborn child, my precious baby, to cancel my sin? But he has made it plainly to you how you should live, what to do, and what is God looking in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. This is God's words. Let's pray for Ian. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that is alive. And thank you that it can transform our lives. And we pray, Lord, for your servant, that as he shares your word with us, that will come to us in a clear way and will enable us to honor and to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ian, it's lovely to have you back with us. Share God's word. God bless you. Thank you very much, Mackie. Thank you for the invitation. It's a joy to be with you this morning and to, to see a congregation in front of me, albeit just a few, uh, rather than an uh, unblinking camera. Just to say, as I appreciate the privilege of being with you this morning, how I'm impressed with the technical team that is making this happen today. So, people of Cairns Road, you need to be thankful to the Lord for the people that he has given that is enabling us to uh, have this service together. 
So my role today is to look at that last portion of the text that Mackie read to us, to walk humbly with the Lord your God. Now the people of Israel in Micah's time had accommodated themselves to the surrounding culture and had given in to their own selfish desires. Proud of their standing as the people of God, they failed to reflect the character of God. There was a dissonance between what they were saying and what they were doing. They had a form of godliness, but no power. And so, in the preceding chapters to chapter 6, the Lord is holding them to account and concludes here in the passage that Mackie read to us, saying that he's not looking for extravagant expressions of worship by sacrificing thousands of rams or even their own sons. What he's calling for is changed hearts, which are expressed through acting justly, loving mercy, kindness, and walking humbly with him. What I'd like to share with you this morning is divided in two natural parts, I think. First of all, walking with God, and secondly, walking humbly with God. And so as we look at that first portion of walking with God, we have to recognize that God created us that we might walk with him. In the Garden of Eden, what do we see? We see God walking with Adam. And that expression, walking with God, is expressed in other parts of scriptures. We see Noah and Enoch walked with God. And that's also expressed in, other li in the lives of uh, the saints of the Old Testament, the disciples in the New, they walked with God. But what does that mean? In Christian expressions, it would mean communion and fellowship with God, but even those words don't communicate clearly what the, the significance of what that is. It can be viewed as Christianese. It means a mutual intimacy and sharing of life together. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about walking with God. We're talking about mutual intimacy and sharing of life together. Now, a husband and wife knows something, some vague or faint impression of what this is when they're on the same wavelength, when their thoughts are on a parallel track along a common path. There's an unspoken complementarity of desires and hopes and they give expression to a togetherness which they feel. And so when we come to consider what it is to walk with God, we recognize that it means, by, it means that we walk in the same direction. Amos 3, verse 3 says, How can two walk together unless they are agreed? They're going in the same path. They're headed in the same direction. Anybody that desires to walk with another, they have to agree to walk together, otherwise they're not walking together. And so it is with us walking with God. There is a desire to walk with Him. Not just recognizing it's a good thing to do, but there is a desire within our hearts. Yes, that's what I'd like to do. And as Galatians 5 says, as we keep step in step with the Spirit, as we keep in step with our God, He reveals more of Himself. And as He reveals more of Himself, so do we listen to what He says. 
that desire within our hearts becomes devotion to him as we learn more of him. Do you remember the disciples on the Emmaus Road? What was their testimony after the Lord Jesus left them? They said, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So as he walks with us, so there is the, that transformation within our hearts, and our hearts are sparked into greater love for the Lord Jesus. But as we consider this issue of walking with God, yes, there's our portion of walking with God, but there's also his. What we need to recognize from Scripture is that the Lord Jesus himself wants to walk with us. We, as the people of God, as the church of the Lord Jesus, belong to him. We are his bride. And he wants to reveal more of his grace to us, but also he wants to benefit from us as he appreciates in us the Spirit of God working, producing the fruit of the Spirit, and he takes delight. What an amazing reality this is, that we broken people as we are, might be the object of his love and the object of his delight. And he says to us this morning, people of God here at Cairns Road, I want to walk with you. And I want to see in our relationship together a deepening communing and a deepening delight. And yet we recognize that even there is this great privilege that we have, that there are hindrances for us as Christians for walking with him. There can be rebellion when we say, no, I want to go my way. I know God's way, but I don't want that way. I want mine. We might have pride in our hearts, and we know what the Scripture says about pride. The Lord gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Sometimes there is disappointment with what the Lord Jesus says. Do you remember the rich, young, the rich young ruler? After the Lord Jesus put his finger on the issue that he had, what did he do? He went away sad. He was disappointed with what the Lord Jesus said. And so it is with us at times there are things that the Lord Jesus says to us that can prompt a temptation to leave him. Another hindrance might be an inoculation to the wonder of his grace. If you've been a Christian for some time, perhaps you are familiar with uh, biblical truths. And they lose that freshness. They lose that immediacy. They lose that sweetness to the soul. And at times, sadly, we as Christians can become bored even with what God has done for us in Christ. We can also fail in this way by having the wrong priorities. Let me give you a personal testimony of my parents. My father, for his hobbies, he had uh, three priorities. Golf, golf, and golf. But then if there was another one, it would have been gardening. And so in, instead of investing in the family and more immediate personal things, he, he tended to ignore uh, the rest of his family. And so 
My mother said at one point they rarely argued in front of the children, but she said this that was very striking to us. She said, the children will not thank you when they are older for the carrots that, they have grown, that you have grown for them. He had a wrong priority. And, in all fairness to him, he did change. But I think that that can be true of us in our own Christian life. Yes, we understand what God's priorities are, but we can displace them by having other things. And so, as we look at this issue of walking with God, let's be amazed again and refreshed again by the privilege of walking with the King of Kings. But please look at the text and see what it says. It says, to walk humbly with your God. And so the question that I want to bring to us all, is our God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, is he your God? Have you met with the Lord Jesus? Have you turned from your sin and embraced him as Savior? Because it's only then can he be your God. That's the encouragement that I want to give you this morning to make sure that as you sing and as you take part in this service, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is your God. And he invites you this morning, if you haven't confessed and turned to him, to do so now and to trust in him. The Lord Jesus came to the disciples after they betrayed him. And what did he do? There on, the, there on the seashore, he prepared breakfast for them, and he invited them to taste again of his goodness and to be renewed in their relationship. And so maybe, perhaps as a child of the king, you have been going in your way, and perhaps you have not been walking with him. And that's what the Lord Jesus says to you this morning. He has prepared grace for you that you might taste again the sweetness of his presence and the wonder of his grace. What I'd like us to do now for a minute or two is just stop and as we look at the slide is to reflect on these questions and to pray and to consider before the Lord before considering the second part of the text. So let's just do that now. It's not a time to go and make coffee. It's a time to listen to what the Lord Jesus is saying to you, individually and then as a church. So a few moments of quiet and then we'll continue. And so as we would walk with God each day, what should characterize our walk with him? It's not enjoyment or satisfaction, though that might be the fruit. It's not peace or joy, though that might flow from it. What should characterize our walk with God is humility. Now, there's not one biblical statement that gives us a definition of what humility is. And so it's an amalgam of different principles. It's the fear of the Lord. 
It's putting others first, giving up what you think you deserve. It's the opposite of entitlement. It's doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's not insisting in your own way. It's preferring others in love. It's serving others and trusting God that His ways are better than ours and walking in them even when it's painful and costly, recognizing our failures and weaknesses. It's obedience, taking up our cross, denying ourselves for the blessing of others and for the glory of God. And as you see on that PowerPoint, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. I want to give you two illustrations of humility from the Old Testament. Jonathan, the son of Saul, the king, was the heir apparent. In the normal pattern of things, if Saul were to die, then Jonathan would be king. But Jonathan knew that David had been appointed the king to replace Saul. And so what we see in Samuel 18, the one who had all the privileges, what did he do? He took his cloak and gave it to David. He took his sword and gave it to David as an expression of humility and appreciation that David was the appointed king. And so it is with us. We don't insist upon our rights, but we surrender them. We give them primarily to Christ, to God, and so to others. Another, another illustration is King Uzziah. Let me read from 2 Chronicles 26. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after King Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. And so that's the opposite of Jonathan, one who humbled himself, assumed the right attitude and position, and the other, having been helped, he was puffed up in pride, and so he fell under judgment. God opposes the proud, giving grace to the humble. And pride, in essence, is forgetting who we are as broken, rebellious people deserving of his judgment and insisting on our own way. And this is what we see here in, in Micah, in the, in the book of Micah. What do we see in verse 3 of chapter 2? I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. Or chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the sin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Just illustration upon illustration that instead of walking humbly with God, they were proud. And I just wonder where we might see pride coming into our lives. What are the things that we are proud about? The significance of our job, the power, the authority that we have, or the appreciation that we receive, or the salary that we earn, failing to see that it's the Lord who has given us intelligence, it's the Lord who has given us 
position. It's the Lord who has given us finances and opportunities. We can draw comfort and pleasure from the gift rather than the giver. And this is why it's so important as we look to nurture this attitude of humility to consider what we see on the screen in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 31, how the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians who they were, reminding them that there was nothing in them that was prompting them to boast. They had no reason to boast because they because God chose the foolish things to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong. And so, let me give us some encouragement as we seek to walk humbly. By cultivating a heart of dependence and trust in God's ordering of our circumstances. At times we get upset, perhaps, when... The circumstances of life are painful and difficult. Perhaps in lockdown, you attempted to be unhappy with God and to complain against God and to decide within your own heart that that's not the way to go. And yet, if we are to walk humbly with God, it is recognizing that He is over all things, that He is wise in all His ways, and that as we depend upon him and trust him in those difficult circumstances, so then does he nurture within our hearts that greater humility. We need to have the heart of forgiveness that I'll look at shortly. But we also need to purposely and intentionally give up our rights in order to serve others. Serving others becomes a primary motivation and action. And so, all too often the thought can come to us, why don't others help me? Why don't others serve me? And yet, the way the Lord calls us to live in humility is, how can I serve? How can I bless? And how can I encourage others? That verse, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 12, death is at work in me, but life is at work in you. And yet, the greatest encouragement that we have to humility is seeing the model of the Lord Jesus himself. Who was the Lord Jesus? He was the Son of God. And what did he do? He made himself nothing, humbling himself, becoming obedient unto death. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he chose to be numbered amongst the transgressors so that choosing life, we might be freed from the chains of death. And so, in conclusion, just let me give two points of application here. Let me encourage us all to ensure that there is a spirit of forgiveness within us all. It can be when our rights are offended, when people do wrong things to us, that within our ego rises up, and yet the Christ is calling us to walk humbly with him. You don't know what he has done to me, and yet the Lord Jesus says, even when he was at the height of his pain and suffering, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. 
And so, as the song in Frozen said, we must let it go, let it go, and walk humbly with God. And secondly, if we are to walk humbly with God, we need to exercise radical generosity. In our society, we're facing economic pain and trouble that I think none of us will have ever seen before. And one area that we must surely give expression to is radical generosity, that those who have help those who have none. Community of the body of Christ has to mean something more than just meeting on Zoom on Sundays. It's as we show love, as we show humility, as we show concern, so then the world will see that we are different because we are walking with God and humbly responding to His voice to bless the world by being light in the darkness. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. An invitation to walk with the Lord Jesus. And he's knocking, knocking to your heart personally, knocking to the heart, to the heart of the door of the church here at Cairns. And so the challenge I want to bring to you this morning is, how are you responding to the knocking of the Lord Jesus? With pride or with humility? Saying, Lord Jesus, we don't know what to do. We don't know the way ahead. We don't know how we should live, but we look to you for your power and for your strength, for your name and your name only to be glorified. May the Lord help us all.